I'm Dr. Walter Malone, Jr., founder of WM Ministries. I want to thank you for joining me for this segment of Tailored to Win, that I might share with you some insights that can inspire, inform, and empower your life. Now, I am doing a teaching presently about kingdom disciples, kingdom disciples, and I want you to look with me in the New Testament records in the gospel according to John chapter 13, John chapter 13, and read in verses 34 and 35, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And the word of God reads like this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're talking about kingdom disciples. We understand clearly that the vision of the church, the mission of the church, the call of the church is to produce disciples. What is a disciple? Is a, a disciple is a person who has made a commitment to follow the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from the Greek word mathetes, which means to be a learner and a follower of another. It means to so allow one's life to be filled with the person that you are following, that your very life is occupied by the person and the presence who is bringing this kind of mentorship into your life. To be a Christian, to be a child of God means by faith we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And in accepting him as our personal Lord and Savior, it means we have surrendered our lives to him. We have submitted our lives to him. He's not just our Savior, meaning he's the one who has redeemed us from our sins and made it possible that we could be reconciled in our relationship with God the Father. So now hell will not be our home, but heaven's going to be our home. In Christ, we have eternal life. Now, everybody is going to have everlasting life, but only the saved are going to have eternal life. Let me say that again. Everybody is going to have everlasting life, meaning that after death, everybody is going to continue to go on and exist after you leave this world. The only question is, are you going to be everlasting in a place of torment, or are you going to be everlasting? in the company of God. So the people who are unsaved are going to go on everlasting, but they're going to be everlasting in the place called hell. But those who have put their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to have eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. And so we thank God that when we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our blessed Savior. But not only is he our blessed Savior, he's also our Lord. Now to be the Lord of our lives means that he's the king of our lives. 
to acknowledge him as king means that there is a revolution that has taken place in our lives. That there is a dramatic, dramatic and demonstrative change that has taken place so that we're no longer the person that we used to be. There is a change of agenda. There's a change of mindset. Jesus said, if any man would be my disciple, let him first deny himself, then take up his cross and follow me. Before I became a Christian, what was at the top of my agenda was me, myself, and I. What was at the top of my agenda is what I was purposing to do. It had to do with my own uh, ambitions and my own desires. But once I came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then my agenda changed because now what is at the top of my agenda has to do with the kingdom of God. I'm saying to God, I want to know what your will is for my life. And God, I want your perfect will to be worked out in my life. So now what was at the top of my agenda is at the bottom of my agenda. And now what is at the top of my agenda is those things that please and give glory and honor to God so that he becomes the Lord of your life you understand that I have eternal life I know I'm not going to live always and forever but I praise God that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain but while I'm yet in this world between the womb and the tomb I know that God has a purpose that he wants to work out in my life that purpose that calling is for his glory but it's for my good and so if I'm going to fulfill his purpose for my life if I'm going to live a life that is fulfilled a life that is fruitful a life that is faithful then I must know the will of God and I must submit to the will of God now that is the heart of discipleship. Discipleship has to do with people who have made up in their minds for God I'll live and for God I'll die. The disciple is the person who says where Jesus leads me I will follow. It is not enough for us just to be members of a church because that might suggest that the only thing that we're really doing is being religious. And you can be religious about washing your car. You can be religious about playing golf. You can be religious about a lot of things. But Christianity fundamentally is not about religion, it's not about rules, it's not about regulations, it's not about rituals. But at the end of the day, Christianity is really about a relationship that we have with God in Christ and it is a personal relationship all of us as the people of God should be saying that if he has called me in fact to be his disciple if being saved means I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ you're students of the Bible and you know in the book of Acts that the people who first followed Jesus were called people of the way they were called people of the way and then we're told in the book of Acts that they were first called Christians at 
Antioch. They were not called Christians by accident, but they were called Christians because of their lifestyle. They were called Christians because of what was seen in their life, what was manifested from their life. It was their walk with God. It was their conduct. It was their character. It was their conversation. Their lifestyle so gave evidence of Christ in their life that those who observed their life in the first century looked at these people who were called people of the way and they said these people's lifestyle so remind us of the one that was called the Christ who was crucified outside of the gates of the city of Jerusalem that why don't we just call them Christians? When people look at your life, when they look at my life today, what would they say about us? Is there anything about our lives that is so visible, so, uh, so demonstrative that when people look at us, they say he must be a Christian, she must be a Christian. They must be people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I've been teaching this particular study here lately, I've talked about characteristics of discipleship, meaning is there anything that would be so characteristic of our lives that when we think about it, we would say, yes, this is what gives authenticity to my discipleship. When I think about this manifestation in my life, it becomes affirmation and confirmation that I am a sincere follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we have talked about these characteristics, there are seven. Today I'm giving you characteristic number seven. And characteristic number seven, I would say, is at the very heart of what discipleship is all about. And that is this. If I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you will know I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ because of how I love others. That's, that's the true sign of my discipleship is how I love others in the spirit of Christ. That's what distinguishes me as a disciple of Christ. It has to do with how I love others in the spirit of Christ. Jesus in the Great Commission says to us, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to observe, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. Listen to that mandate. Listen to those marching orders. We are to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. The church is not here just to have a good time on Sunday morning, to be emotionally tickled and then go home and then do nothing in relationship to God and then come back and go through that kind of ritual another weekend. No, the church, we ought to love to worship and we ought to want to come to worship, but worship ought to be a celebration of what we are doing with God before Sunday gets here and what we're going to do with God after the benediction. 
Somebody says we enter to worship, but we depart to serve. We gather and then we scatter. We gather on Sunday to give God glory and honor and praise. We scatter after the benediction to go back out and to reach people, to touch people, to minister to people, to lead people, to witness to people on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we're going to do that faithfully will have to do with how we love others in the spirit of Christ. So Jesus in John chapter 13, he's making his way toward Calvary and he says to the disciples and he says to us today, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, I'm giving you a command that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, how has God loved you and I? He has loved us not because of, but he has loved us in spite of. And God is saying, I want you to love what I love. Well, what does God love? God loves people. And so we are to love one another in the spirit of Christ. Somebody said, what kind of world would this be if everybody loved Jesus? Because if we love Jesus, we will love one another. And then Jesus says, now this is going to be the real sign. This is going to be the real indication that you are my disciple. They're not going to know that you are my disciple because you dress a certain way. They're not going to know you're my disciple because you got a big old Bible in your hand. They're not going to know that you're my disciple because you got some jewelry around your neck that happens to be a cross. They're not going to know that you're my disciple because you speak in tongues. They're not going to know that you're my disciple because of how you shout and because of how you dance. They're going to know that you are my disciple because of how you love one Another Love is going to be the indicator. And the fact that God is calling us to love one another means that there's a purpose for which he wants this characteristic to show up in our lives. And that purpose is that we are to be a witness to the world. Now, having said that, when we talk about fulfilling this command, this challenge that God gives us in Christ, we can say that revelation leads to reflection that leads to relationship. Let me say it again. Revelation leads to reflection that leads to relationship. You see, beloved, you and I, we do not discover God. I'm going to say more about that Sunday. We do not discover God. Whatever we know about God, it has to do with what God has revealed to us. And as we receive revelation, then we reflect on the revelation that we receive. It is a blessing to be at Bible study today. 
Those of you in the sanctuary, those joining me virtually, it is a blessing indeed. And not just a blessing today, every time you come to Bible study, it is a wonderful blessing every time. Because every time you're in Bible study, you are sitting under the word. And to sit under the word is to receive revelation. It is to receive illumination. It is to receive insight. God is giving you a spiritual impartation right now. And when you receive revelation and you receive a divine impartation, that is when God speaks to us, when he speaks to you through his word, you need then after receiving revelation, you need to reflect on what you have received. You need to think about what you have heard. You need to consider in your spirit what God has showed you. You need to be able to meditate, to give thought, to consider on God has helped me to understand something. He's let me in on a divine secret that heretofore I did not have. But God has allowed me to see something, to understand something, to perceive something that I did not have just in and of myself. This is past book knowledge. This has to do with insight. And now that I have reflected on it, now I'm gonna take the revelation that I've received and the revelation that I have reflected upon, and now I'm going to put it into practice. And as I put it into practice, then I began to see the implications. I began to see the ramifications that it has for my life. And the implication and the ramification means that now I'm going to have the right kind of relationship that God wants me to have. Are y'all listening to me? I'm going to have the right kind of relationship that God wants me to have. Let me give it to you again. You receive revelation. Revelation leads to reflection. And reflection is going to lead to relationships. Because relationships has to do with the ramifications and the implications of me acting upon the word that I receive. So the Bible says to us that the question was raised to Jesus one day, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two laws hang all, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what is my understanding? My understanding that a right relationship in the world begins with a right relationship with God. And then after you have a right relationship with God, you have a right relationship with yourself. And then after you have a right relationship with yourself, you can have a right relationship with others. But you cannot have a right relationship with others if you don't have a right relationship with yourself. And you cannot have a right relationship with yourself if you don't have a right relationship with God. Can I tell you something? Don't ever expect anybody to to love you who do not who does not love themselves and a person who does not love themselves will not love God 
And so God wants us to live in the world with right relationships. He wants us to have a right relationship with others. Well, how do we have a right relationship with others? We love others in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And then God says, quit mistreating yourself. God says, love yourself. Don't hate yourself. Don't abuse yourself, but love yourself rightly. And you'll know how to love yourself rightly if you love me in the right way. And so it has to do with relationships. Now understanding that, then we can go to John 15 because in John 15, we're gonna hear how Jesus expands upon the commandment that, we, that he gave us, this new commandment to love one another as he has loved us. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Well, if it has to do with relationships, again, where does it start? It starts first with Jesus. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples now the one word that just keeps coming up over and over and over and over again is the word abide 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 Jesus says that the key to your relationship with me is that you must learn how to abide in me when the apostle Paul is writing to the Christians at the churches of Galatia he says I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me the word abide speaks of the intimacy of our relationship with God. It speaks of our spiritual connectedness with Jesus Christ. That Jesus is in me and I and in him. That I live, move, and have my very being in him. That he is the source of my supply. He's the source of my strength. I don't try to live my life outside of him, but I live my life in in Christ and so to abide in him means to cultivate your relationship with Jesus how much time do you spend with the Lord is it just for about a couple of hours on Sunday and then you don't have no more time with him until next Sunday how much time do you spend with him do you start every day with Jesus do you live throughout the day with Jesus do you close the day out with Jesus 
Jesus? How, how, much, how much time do you spend in prayer with Christ? Do you just call him when you're in trouble? Or do you talk to him on a regular basis? Do you go to God in prayer and say, Jesus, I don't want anything. I just want to be in your company, God. I just want to worship you and praise you. God, I'm coming in prayer not to ask what you can do for me, but I'm coming, God, to talk to you, Jesus, about what can I do for you and the kingdom. Yeah, grandmama said, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. She said, I'm walking and talking with my mind stayed on the Lord. She says, I'm singing and I'm praying with my mind stayed on Jesus. So when we talk about this love relationship, it begins with our relationship with Christ. You ought to love him. I'm going to say it again. You ought to love him. You ought to love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. When you think about what the Lord has done for you, you ought to love Jesus. I'm not talking about your car. I'm not talking about your house. I ain't talking about your clothes. I ain't talking about the two nickels you got in the bank. I'm talking about your eternal salvation. Jesus says, what does does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? Everything that you have, listen to me clearly, if not most stuff, everything you have right now got marked on it temporary. It ain't gonna last. Either you gonna get away from it or it's gonna get away from you. The only thing that's gonna last is your eternal salvation. It's your soul that you ought to be concerned about. And when you think about the fact that Jesus laid down his life on a cross so that you could be forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, restored, brought back into the place of dominion to be in a right relationship with God just to call his name ought to make you want to holler. You ought to love him so it begins with your abiding in him. Now, after you abide in him, then the next thing that he tells us to do is that we are to love one another. If you look in John 15, verse 17, he says, these things I command you that you love one another. These things I command you that you love one another. Loving one another is not optional. <laughs> Loving one another is not negotiable. As Christians, we're not called to put up with one another. You put up with your car <laughs> when it won't start. You put up with the dishwasher when it ain't working. You put up with the uh, uh, washing machine, the, 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 the machine that dries your clothes. You, you put up with those things when they don't work. I put up with my iPhone when it's acting crazy and it's doing that right now. I'm going to turn that sucker in as soon as I get a minute. Amen. I ca people call me. I try to answer. And as soon as I try to answer, it cuts it off. Then I got to call them right back. You know, well, I put up with the iPhone, but you don't put up with people. You love people. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. 
Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Well, he loves us how? In spite of. So that's how God wants us to love one another. He wants us to show others the same grace that he has shown us. He wants us to forgive others the way he has forgiven us. So we are now called to love Jesus. We do so by abiding in him. And then we're called upon to love one another. Let that be the hallmark of our Christianity. You know, in, uh, in, in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, he gives us a teaching about the various gifts in the body of Christ. And he says that it is the Holy Spirit who is the administer of the gifts that it is this Holy Spirit who gives each person their gift and helps us to understand our place in the life of the church. Nobody has all the gifts. Everybody's got a gift, and some of us have, may have multiple gifts, but you ain't got it all. Amen. And so you have a place in the body, but not just you. Everybody has a place in the body of Christ. And then we read again about gifts in Paul's letter to the church at Rome, and he talks about gifts again. And then we read about gifts again in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. So we come to understand them when we talk about spiritual gifts that God gives the individual a gift. Then that individual becomes a gift to the church. Did you hear what I just said? God gave you a gift. And then as you operate in your gift, you become a gift to the church. God gave me a gift. He's given me several gifts. But in giving me those gifts, I now have become a gift to you as your pastor. That's why we need to thank God for one another. Because you ought to thank God for the other people in the church because God uses those gifts in the church to bless your life. Amen. All right? So he gives us these, he gives us these, these, these gifts that we might be a blessing to one another. But listen, Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, he says, he says, don't get it twisted. He says, when you talk talking about the gifts and all the various gifts that get manifested in the body of Christ, he says, the gift, he says, if you're going to covet a gift, he says, the gift you want to covet is the gift of love. You see, because, you know, some people can just sing and sing you under the floor. Some people, you, they couldn't sing if you gave them a note in a bucket, you know. Uh, some people can teach, some people cannot teach. And I could go on and on about what some people could do and what some people can't do. But I'm going to tell you what all of us can do. All of us can love. I, I don't care what gift you don't have. I'm going to tell you the gift that all of us do have. All of us can operate with the gift of love. So we're called upon to love Jesus. And then secondly, we're called upon to love one another. But then thirdly, we are called upon to love the world, to be a witness to the world, to let the love of God in Christ permeating through my life be that charisma, be that grace that is attractive that leads others to Christ. So if you look at John chapter 15, verse, verse 27, 
And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. God is calling us to do what? Bear witness. And we bear witness as we love others. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah, God didn't love some of us. God loves all of us. Somebody was talking to me about the issue of Black Lives Matter. And I said, oh, yeah, make no mistake about it. Black lives matter. Black lives have to matter. And I said to them, black lives have to matter because all lives matter. It ain't just that black lives matter. Certainly black lives do matter. But white lives matter. Hispanic lives matter. Asian lives matter. Rich lives matter. Poor lives matter. The learned lives matter. Those who are unlearned, their lives matter. It doesn't matter who you are, where you live, where you came from. Every man, every woman has been created in the image and likeness of God, born with dignity, worth, uh, value. All lives matter. Yeah. And ain't nobody going to push me off that because I'm a Christian. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him should not perish and have everlasting life. And I understand clearly the issue of social justice. I understand still the challenge of a racistic society. I understand what it means as African-American people to be described like Derek Bell in his book entitled Faces at the Bottom of the Well. I'm very attuned to that. In fact, I believe that black lives matter so much that as a black man, that I'm not expecting anybody else to love me better than I'm going to love myself or respect me more than I'm going to respect myself. As a black man, if I say black lives matter, I'm not waiting for white America to love black people. No, if I believe that strongly, that black lives matter, that I'm asking myself, what are you doing? as a black man to make it better for black people. Because if I'm asking others to respect black America and I won't do nothing as a black man, shame on me. If I'm expecting others to deliver our community and I won't take responsibility for black lives and for the black community, then I am an oxymoron to what I say I believe. You, know, you ought to first respect your own people before you expect somebody else to respect them. And this is fundamentally for me because of who I am. I'm unashamedly black and I'm unapologetically Christian. All lives matter. And it is how we love people the way God loves people, that really makes the difference at the end of the day. We are called to love the world. We are called to be a witness to the world at large. Because again, we're not here just to occupy space and time. As Christians, we have the responsibility to bring every person we can 
into a saving relationship with Christ. I'm going to say it again. As Christians, we have a responsibility. We have a charge to bring every person we can into a saving relationship with Christ. Being a Christian, being saved is not a person who attends church and who says, I believe in God. The Bible says the devil believes and trembles. So just saying you believe in God and attending church does not make you a Christian. Being a Christian is one who is a follower of Jesus Christ. I come to church out of obedience to give him glory, honor, and praise. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, and all the more as the day approaches, meaning the parousia, the second coming of Christ. We are to not fail to assemble ourselves together because there are some things we can do collectively as the people of God for the kingdom of God that we could never do individually. And then it is through the church, the body of Christ, that God wants us to be spiritually edified and strengthened. But my Christianity is not just seen in my church attendance. My Christianity is seen in the life I live between the Sundays. It's my daily walk that lets you know that I am truly a child of God. Our, our mothers and fathers used to put it like this. They used to say, a charge to keep I have and a God to glorify, a never dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. Yeah, that's what they used to say. And God help us to say it afresh today. Now, there are some particular characteristics about this love that God wants us to show one another. Stay in John 15, but go back to verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So what do we know about this love that starts with us? We abide in Christ, starts with our relationship with him, our love for him. Then it moves on to our love to others in the body of Christ. And then ultimately it's going to be seen in how we love people throughout the world. Well, what is characteristic of this love? Well, one is that it's sacrificial. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Salvation is free, but it costs to follow Jesus. And if you're going to love like Jesus, at some point, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. It may be a sacrifice of time. It may be a sacrifice financially. It may be a sacrifice in terms of your gifts and talents. But you'll make a sacrifice. For some people, it may be the ultimate sacrifice. They may have to even lay down their life. But if you're never called upon to have to die for the cause of Christ, you certainly are going to be called upon to make sacrifices for the good of others. Then look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So a second characteristic of this love, it has to do with obedience. Not only is this love sacrificial, but it's obedient. My love for Jesus is predicated on the fact that I want to obey. I want to do what the Lord has told me to do. 
Somebody said there's no better way than to love and obey. I want to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. So there's a third characteristic. First, love is sacrificial. Secondly, is obedient. But thirdly, this love is a love where we share the truth. We share the truth. We speak the truth to one another. Of course, Paul says, speak the truth how? In love. But what we have heard from God, we share with one another. That's why Christian fellowship is so important. That's why it is so essential. Today we're in Bible study. I'm sharing with you what God has shared with me. When I stand to teach the word on, on Wednesday, when I stand to teach it on Sunday, I'm not trying to give you my opinion. <laughs> I'm not trying to give you speculation. I'm not trying to give you what I think. I'm trying to give you the truth of God based upon the word of God because what we need to live is we need revelation. We need spiritual insight. We need spiritual illumination. And then you take what you've been taught, you take what God is revealing to you, and then you share it with what? With others. Well, where do I start, Pastor? Why don't you share it with your spouse? Why don't you share it with your children? Why don't you share it with your aunts and uncles, your cousins, your nephew, your nieces? In other words, why don't you share it with your extended family? Why don't you share it with your neighbors? Why don't you share it with your co-workers? Why don't you share it at the beauty salon, at the barber shop? In other words, we are to be the dispensers of truth. Then look at verse 16. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name he will give you so here is a fourth characteristic of this love that fourth characteristic is that this love always calls us to take the initiative God says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. God takes the initiative. You and I must take the initiative. Don't wait on somebody to speak to you. Speak to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're waiting on somebody else to show you kindness. You be the first one to show kindness. Take the initiative. And then the fifth characteristic is all right there in John 15. The fifth characteristic is this love's going to keep on bearing fruit. As a Christian, you ought to say to yourself, how much fruit am I bearing? Anything that ain't bearing fruit is dead. If you are alive, you ought to be bearing fruit. Week after week, month after month, year after year. Your life and my life ought to count for something. That's why we shouldn't be living our lives self-centered, but we ought to be living our life, our life as selfless because what we're asking God is so use me that my life can make a difference in the lives of others. Amen? 
All right, God be praised. Thank you for sharing with us today for this segment of Tailored to Win. I pray that this word has brought encouragement and empowerment to equip you to live a faithful and fruitful life to the glory of Jesus Christ.